Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into the game we all love. I mean, Megarian, joining me as always is our transfer guru, Duncan Castles. We promised you that in this time of uh, strange times, I suppose, uh, we would not be churning out any old guff uh, just to fill the airwaves and bringing you only quality broadcasting news and analysis as we get it. Of course, we will fulfill that promise and it's certainly full in our lineup today. We start with breaking information received by us here at Transfer Centre, and that relates to Paul Pogba, whom, as I'm sure many of you have seen, has been rumoured to have been the subject of a potential new contract negotiation with Manchester United, uh, which would extend his current deal, a deal which is due to expire uh, a year this summer. Well, information that we have does not suggest that that's the case, Duncan. In fact, it suggests um, that Manchester United are still open to selling the France international if uh, a valuation that meets their um, value of the player uh, is received. Interestingly, in terms of the uh, development of this story, we can reveal that Juventus have been in touch once again with Manchester United regarding Pogba, although this time they have offered the Wales international Aaron Ramsey as a potential make-way in any Player Plus cash deal. It's also our understanding that Old Gunnar Solskjaer is keen on Ramsey, likes him very much as a player, a player in his prime. Ramsey has failed to make any significant impact at the Juventus stadium since moving on a free transfer from Arsenal uh, in the summer of last year. Uh, I think it would take Duncan a fairly hefty sum of money, as well as Ramsey, uh, to to actually uh, make this transfer credible. However, um, what would you say if I said to you that uh, Solskjaer's feeling on this is that Ramsey could actually help create a more balanced midfield for his team than perhaps he currently has and perhaps has with Pogba in it. Yeah, I think I think from a football perspective that makes sense. With Bruno Fernandes now installed at Manchester United and, and basically elevated to the position of most important player in the team in the space of a few games, you have an individual who can play that attacking creative role. Um, and there's an obvious point of conflict when Pogba comes back, if he does come back into the Manchester United team whenever football is played again. And Bruno Fernandes has the freedom to play as he's playing at the moment and has the number 10 position. Um, he's basically playing exactly where Paul Pogba wants to be. We know Pogba doesn't like defensive duties. We know he doesn't like playing in a, in a two. Um, he, we know he thinks he should be the, the, the central attacking creative force in the team and and for good reason because that's what he's best at um, but if you try and put Fernandez and Pogba into the same midfield you're going to have that conflict because one of them is going to have to sacrifice their best position and, and we've seen that 
Bruno Fernandes has been working for Manchester United. So it would be a surprise if um, Solskjaer was to say, OK, we'll, we'll let you, Pogba, who's missed the majority of the season and caused kind of endless problems with not just the previous manager, but also for myself, have the position you want and sacrifice Fernandes in in that, uh, in that way to make it happen. With Aaron Ramsey, you would be getting a player who would happily um, play in a number of midfield positions, has experience in playing a number of midfield positions in the Premier League and can, can do that defensive side of the duties. Um, so, yeah, it would be more balanced. I think, obviously, the problem here is valuations. Um, I think that you, you do have clear indications from Pogba's camp that he is interested in going back to Juventus. It's something that Mino Raiola has floated in the public domain several times. So I don't, I don't think it would be an issue from the perspective of would Pogba and Raiola accept that? Um, there'd be a big salary for them, a big commission for Raiola involved. They go straight into a team which expects to win this, the Italian title every year and be competitive for the Champions League, which is what Pogba wants and what Raiola has said his, his client needs to have. Question is, what kind of money can Juventus afford to put up um, in this context of uh, a suspended season with Italy being the worst hit country in Europe at present um, for coronavirus? Um, with Andre Agnelli talking this week about the pandemic being a real existential threat to football and it being the biggest challenge the game and our industry has, has ever faced. You don't see Juventus coming up with the kind of money that um, Manchester United were asking for Pogba last summer when Real Madrid wanted to sign him. So that £160 million fee that was being discussed, that, that is not going to happen from Juventus end. So then the question becomes, um, can they present a number that is acceptable to Manchester United to solve a problem for both sides? And, and I think that's a, you know, it's a very open question. Again, and there's going to be a lot of adjustment going on in the world of football. And we know that clubs are quite happy to bring their adjustments of what a player's worth in terms of buying them downwards, but they're rarely happy to bring their adjustments uh, of what a player's worth in terms of selling them downwards when they think they are in a, in a relative position of power. One of the problems United had uh, when they bought Pogba Duncan was they made the mistake of paying both the commission and the fee for the player up front in one instalment. So they were immediately out around 100 million uh, euros or more. Uh, I don't think they'll make that mistake a second time. Uh, I think if Juventus can come up with a eventual figure to be reached via steps over the period of the contract with a, say, minimum down payment of around 50 to 60 million euros, that could be acceptable to Manchester United. For two reasons. One, Pogba has been um, ultimately a, a, a thorn um, for the club and for Solskjaer as well uh, in terms of this last season. And uh, he's made it plain that he doesn't uh, want to be there. So getting rid of a player who does not see his future at Old Trafford, I don't think anyone, including the Manchester United fans, and at this point, I want to mention and give a shout out to uh, the uh, listener to the podcast who is at 
O.R. Huslain, O.R. MUFC, who asked the question, rumours of a contract for Pogba, would it be an extension of five-year contract? I think we've answered that now for you. Um, but also just to finish off on this part of the, the, uh, the conversation, uh, in doing so, I think this idea of creating balance is a very seductive one for both Solskjaer and uh, his coaches. They clearly have been imbalanced uh, with Pogba's uh, even inclusion and or when he's been out through injury. They've, uh, McTominay, when he was out for a spell as well, they, they looked like a team who were struggling to find the right combination in midfield. This would give him a range of options, including a new one in Ramsey. Uh, if Matic were to stay, you have McTominay, Fred, uh, uh, Fernandez all of whom can play several positions as well. So I think it's a win-win for Manchester United, should that be the case. Another active transfer, Duncan, despite the fact the window's not officially open, but certainly uh, people are talking uh, transfers. Um, we should uh, mention that all this downtime players and agents and chief executives have because of the suspension of leagues has led to a lot of conversations, uh, obviously telephone, email, messaging, with regards to potential moves in the summer. And Duncan, you've got some news for us regarding a certain defender wanted in the Premier League. Yeah, this is Gabriel at Lille. Um, we flagged up to you um, quite some time ago that a number of clubs across Europe were extremely interested in him. Uh, he's young Brazilian, still not played for the, the full national team, but was about to make his uh, his debut for their Olympic squad um, before coronavirus suspended all international matches. He's uh, left-footed, one meter ninety, very good in the ball. He's kind of the 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 archetype of what um, a lot of clubs are looking for in centre backs these days. Um, we told you he has been watched by Manchester City, and that Manchester City had been in contact with his agents to to um, assess what uh, interest there would be in moving there. Um, well, obviously a club that needs to recruit more than one centre-back whenever the window opens again. Um, there have, I'm told, now been four offers for Gabriel um, received by Lille and accepted by Lille. Um, one interesting thing here is that they have reduced their asking price. So when we were talking about this um, in January, the valuation was about 40 to 45 million euros for um, Gabriel. But given the new reality of football, um, given that Lille are a club which will obviously has, has been dependent on transfer revenue, weren't able to make a big transfer in January, um, as we told you, uh, Bubakari Samari refusing uh, to move at that point when Lille were prepared to cash in on them. Lille need to get money in whenever the window opens again. So they have agreed a deal at with a total value of 35 million euros, including performance-related bonuses. Um, Everton, one of the clubs who have had uh, an offer accepted. Um, two clubs in Italy have also had offers accepted. And then the fourth club is Chelsea. Um, and again, I don't think it's a great surprise that Chelsea have um, moved for Gabriel, given that Frank Lampard has wanted to improve his, his centre-backs um, pretty much since he, he um, took control of that squad, obviously wasn't able to do so in the summer. Would have liked to have done something in January, but that 
big conflict um, with Marina Granovskaya prevented any transfers from happening. Um, and Gabriel fits the, the Chelsea model of buying relatively young players who will have resale value down the line, who they can retain for a long period of time um, as necessary and expect um, their value to inflate. So it will obviously come down to a decision um, of the player as to where he wants to go. Um, unless, of course, you have someone else coming in um, and adding to that, that list of suitors because there is no um, transfer window open at present. Um, Leo may choose to do a deal as soon as possible to get the guarantee of money into their books. Um, or Gabriel might, through his agent, get the hint that other clubs, with, with those clubs having expressed their interest, also re remain um, keen on the player and, uh, and, and hold off on actually agreeing on a, on a particular club to go to to see if um, one of those other suitors come in. And, and kind of in the way that Bubakari Samari did, um, Newcastle United made the biggest offer for him in January. It would have been a club record transfer for Newcastle. And uh, he and his agent decided Newcastle was the wrong place to go. And they waited um, for the summer with the expectation a club that he actually wanted to move to um, would make an offer then. And I, I expect that will happen this summer with Sumari, but probably given the way the transfer market is headed um, for less money than, than Leo would have received had they sold him to Newcastle in January. Well, uh, I've not seen much of Gabriel play for uh, Leo this season, Duncan, but I'm assuming um, he's no David Luiz. Would that be correct? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, David Luiz, is, uh, I think, has a had a lot to offer as a centre-back and had a lot of, uh, well, several notable um, weak points in his game, but uh, as an overall package, hasn't had a, hasn't had a bad career in, in international no, and domestic I, I, football. I'm not diminishing his career whatsoever. I, I was more referring to his relationship with Frank Lampard and how that ended <laughs> his time at Chelsea than anything else. Um, right, so uh, we have a very interesting question now from... Um, uh, excuse me, from Varchester United, that's at United Austin. Interesting on the basis that, well, we can give you a bit of detail on exactly what is happening, and that is, Varchester United says, is there a possibility, Duncan, of no transfer window at all? I don't, I don't think there's any possibility of that in the slightest. And in fact, the, the guidance from FIFA, who are the effectively the sole arbiters of this, although they are holding their discussions in tandem with um, all the interested bodies in football because it is so important to football in general. The guidance from FIFA is that they're, they're thinking of how long they can expand the transfer window for. And they, they, the, the, the discussion is that it could be up to 16 weeks um, in length in any particular territory as and when that territory um, decides they want to go down that route. When we told you on the last transfer podcast that um, championship clubs in England were actually petitioning the league um, to have the window opened immediately, such as the, uh, the financial duress, the majority of clubs in the championship are in. You know, that they're all, a, a huge number of clubs there who have uh, a wage bill that's more than 100% of revenue, no prospect of playing football in the immediate future, um, more dependent on gate money 
in terms of their overall share of, of uh, revenue, far more dependent than in the Premier League where broadcast revenues can can be the more than the majority of income for some of the, the smaller clubs in the Premier League. Seeing the writing on the wall that if they are not able to play football in the foreseeable future, the the debts they have mounting up in terms of their salary um, costs to players will have to come out and no and no revenue stream in coming in to to cover them and that ultimately if it's not you don't come up with a solution that equals bankruptcy um, a lot of discussion and some clubs in the championship have already gone to their players and asked them um, to take a voluntary cut in their wages. Um, so 50% wage cuts at Birmingham City and Leeds United accepted this week after the clubs proposed them. They were on a deferred basis. So the, the promise is that the, the, the players will be paid eventually. So again, that's kind of a short-term solution which um, will not hold out indefinitely for them. And therefore, some of these championship clubs seeing those problems had said, let us sell players now. That That is the asset we have while football is not being played. Uh, we understand we'll probably have to take uh, a loss in terms of what our previous valuations were on the player. But if we can get some money in from more affluent clubs, and we're looking at the Premier League essentially here, um, then we'll take it. So uh, the idea there will be no transfer window at all, I think, is just... Uh, operates in in the, in the opposite direction to where football is headed, and and that is that there are going to be no revenues from gate receipts for probably months. I mean, I, I the, increasingly the feeling I have and I am hearing from people in football is we'll be lucky to have football again in September, October. It could be even longer than that. Um, we're completely in the hands of uh, the pandemic and getting into a position where it is safe to play football again. Uh, and I think that that reality is coming is coming closer to clubs by the day, uh, and that the that football's importance here and that the 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 attempt to get leagues completed, um, the attempt to get football played again, is diminishing in general importance in the country. Therefore, you have to solve these problems of how do we pay players, how do we get revenue, and how do we keep a lot of the clubs afloat um, until football can be played again. And with no broadcast revenue and you know imminent legal challenges over the, the, the remainders of uh, payments for the current season, um, no get revenue from gate receipts, players' wages to pay, the only other answer is to sell some of your players. Um, and I think the, the question here is to see how long FIFA take and whether they're prepared to ride it out until the summer transfer window is formally supposed to open or whether they just open the gates now and say, if you want to trade, we let you trade. We let you do the deals you need to do because we understand you need to get money in. Um, and that's the priority for clubs at present. I mean, we can understand why your average football fan um, who is in lockdown 
sitting at home, uh, either possibly working from home or homeschooling or doing all the things that, you know, we're all experiencing in these very unusual times um, all across the world, will be thinking, well, if there's no games being played, then everyone in football is effectively shut down. And so nothing's happening. They're just like sitting on their hands or twiddling their thumbs. Actually not the case. In a lot of conversations I've had over the past seven days, attempts to find out information, Duncan, about when clubs or players or even the PFA expect you know football to be played again or all of these kind of questions, which are immediate ones rather than ones for six months from now. I've also been hearing that um, at this stage of the season, normally when uh, the... Decisions have been made regards to who's going to be playing in Europe next season, who's relegated, who's promoted. You always hear players saying, "Well, I don't want to discuss my future because I just want to get this season finished and you know do the best for the club." And generally speaking, that is the case. But what I've been hearing is that players, their agents, chief executives, chief scouts, uh, clubs themselves have been quite happy to engage in. Uh, conversations regarding potential moves both in and out of clubs for players during this uh, enforced break in actually playing the game, which means they will be ready to be up and running in the market when the market opens. So clearly football itself is expecting a, a fully functioning market when the time is right for that to happen. I think you're also very correct to point out that the market doesn't just exist for sporting reasons. And by that, I mean, obviously, the transfer of players uh, who are going to make teams better or this or that or the other. It does so for economic reasons as well. Even a club like Ajax, whose entire ethos in terms of sustaining and maintaining their um, exponential growth, as we saw with their amazing team they reached, semi-final of the, of the Champions League last season, is to sell players at the end of each season in order that they can reinvest in their club. Now, that, of course, is times 10, times 20 when you go further down uh, football's ladder into championship and below that with regards to... Look at the Jude Bellingham case for in, in, in point. Um, we're led to believe that Birmingham City are on the point of, of potential... Uh, going out of business but the sale of one 16 year old player could have the effect of keeping them in business at least until the point where they know when football is going to return so I think it's important to stress that uh, even though um, in this time instead of great uncertainty and everything we do on a daily basis that the, the football transfer market will certainly uh, be open this summer and I suspect possibly extended uh, to the point where there'll be very very little or not that much time between the close of the window um, in summer and the opening of the window in January, if indeed not into February itself. Yeah, Birmingham City is a good example there. 2017-18 accounts lost £37.5 million, um, which is more or less the money that... Um, we were talking about as a as a transfer fee for Jude Bellingham. Obviously, they face even bigger losses because they have lost, um, as with the other clubs, gate receipts. Um, EFL has tried has brought in a a fifty million um, partial bailout package, but that's to be split amongst all clubs, and it's 
basically brought forward some of uh, the, the the broadcasting rights that are due to be paid later in the season. So they would be under legal challenge anyway. Um, I, you know, as, as we've said in the previous podcast, this it, the likelihood, the way you see transfer market operating, uh, operating and the effects of this epidemic operating in football is that the stronger clubs, the ones who have the better balance sheets and have the power to... Um, to ride through um, the epidemic are are probably going to end up getting a lot stronger and a lot more powerful off the back of this. The ones that particularly have uh, clever recruitment structures and you know Liverpool would be a great example here. Who who know, know the players they want to bring in have a a plan set forward for multiple years will be seeing this as an opportunity to buy talents on the cheap because the, the clubs that they prey on or buy from um, will have, in general, more difficult financial positions than, than they do. So I think, I think Uli Hunas's, um prediction that, um, that he can't imagine 100 million transfers in the near future, um, saying that transfer fees will drop, the amounts will not recover to the previous level in the next two or three years. There will very likely be a new football world. I think that is solidly based. Don't think there will be many huge scale transfers um, with one proviso, which I'll go into in a minute. But I think there will be a lot of business and a lot of business at reduced fees on on the valuations we were expecting going into this window. And it will be those strong clubs picking off uh, the weaker clubs. I think the, the only way we get an exception to this is if you get a potential buyer of a football club taking advantage of the economic weakness caused by coronavirus to go and say, I will take this club off your hands. You can see that football revenues are going to go down for the next few years. Um, you had a valuation of your club at a certain level in the old market. That valuation is unrealistic. I'll let you get out now for this amount of money. And you know, here I think we're talking about someone like Saudi Arabia, um, a nation state or a, a supremely wealthy individual who can afford to buy at a time when most of the world economy is struggling, then take on a big club and then pump a lot of money into that big club at a time of weakness um, to acquire top talents. I think that's the only way we see over 100 million euro transfers as if, if, for example, Saudi Arabia were to come in and buy, for example, uh, just talking hypothetically here, Manchester United and say, right, let's go for it now. You're probably also talking almost certainly in a, a window in which UEFA relax FFP regulations. So UEFA are talking about, um, I've already talked about uh, ignoring um, overdue payables on previous transfers and wages for a certain period of time in their FFP calculations. And they'll say, they're also saying that we'll um, make all their FFP assessments on a force majeure basis. So they'll take into account uh, the damage that the pandemic has done to each club in assessing their break-even level. So you're, you're, you're talking about being able to buy at a time um, when prices are low and when regulations and barriers have been lowered. And that would really, if it were to happen now, that would shake up the market. And um, in many ways, it's it would be the perfect time for a, um, a ruthless 
uh, and a buyer to take on one of the big clubs and, and take advantage of the turmoil in football. Perhaps for the first time uh, in recent history of football, uh, actual common sense business planning will need to be applied. And just like the vultures in the current stock market who are buying at very low prices to capitalise on the global pandemic, uh, they'll hold on to those shares until such time that they are raised in stakes. Looks like football could be going that way, people. Could be. Now to, of course, an update on the biggest question of all, Duncan. Uh, we're grateful to Denny Holland, uh, a regular listener, for his question, uh, who asks, if they suspend the Premier League like they have in Italy, what is the likely impact on title and who gets top four and relegation? I think this question is becoming the most important one in football at present. So we talked about this a week ago and the the sense from UEFA, so UEFA had suspended Euro 2020 with the express intention of allowing the leagues to complete and to allow the integrity of, of each domestic season to be retained, um, open up space for games to be played, finish the season, move on to the next one. Um, the Premier League in particular was pushing that line of um, we will we will keep going and we will wait and we will complete this league. Our intention, they made a statement that their intention, a joint statement actually with FA and EFL, their intention was to finish the leagues. Um, uh, not a cast iron commitment, but we're, we're moving towards that end. I think as the scale of the pandemic has become clear, um, that that default position, which part of which is driven, I think, in the Premier League's case by avoiding legal action from the broadcasters. They do not want to be seen to have um, decided to stop playing this season, to have scrapped games, to um, have cancelled matches that the broadcasters owe them broadcast revenue for and therefore be subject to potential legal challenge from the broadcasters. What I'm being told that in Italy and France, the, the position of the leagues is now that they, they think the most credible way to go forward is to declare the leagues null and void and to replay them. Um, to have no champions, the only thing you will take from the current league positions is qualification for European competitions if necessary. Um, so if the, the next entry list for the Champions League and Europa League is based on this uncomplete season, then they will take um, the, the teams who are in the, the qualification positions as present and put them into the next competition. In Italy, the, the discussion is that they will take two clubs up from Serie B and play a, a, a larger Serie A next season with more relegation places at, at the end of it to get back to a normal situation. So you, there you have two major leagues already coming to the conclusion that it's almost certainly going to be impossible to complete the schedule. It's going to take too long to get restarted. So let's aim to try and start and have enough time to play a full normal season um, ahead of 
Euro 2021, which becomes the next sort of deadline and and uh, limitation on the football calendar. You're now getting noises from a number of Premier League clubs that they think that is the best way to go in the Premier League too. That actually the, the, the safest solution to all of this is to say, we have to give up on this season. We are not going to have time to complete it. Um, we restart as early as we can and hopefully that will be September and we start with the same teams and replay this season in its entirety rather than trying to finish this one and then cram another season in um, and no champions. Um, so the, this question of whether Liverpool get awarded the title is, is, is coming up in to debate again, which is obviously going to be immensely controversial because Liverpool obviously deserve the title from this season. But there is an argument from certain clubs that that should be irrelevant now, that discussion should be irrelevant. What's important is the future of the league and the financial futures of the club. And the best solution to that is to scrap current season restart again when it's safe to play football again. I think Ian, you have some information on on you know, ways in which championship clubs could be um, bought off into accepting that solution or also ways in which uh, Leeds United um, could be brought into the, the next Premier League and a, and a Premier League played in a similar way that the Italians are proposing with 22 teams and uh, and more teams going down. Yes, indeed, Duncan. Um, part of the negotiation process, which is currently being discussed informally, is uh, that, uh, yes, there will be a, a potential 22-team Premier League next season, um, but it could well be the case uh, that if the Championship remains at 22, then you're effectively saying that you've eliminated probably two of the most competitive clubs who would be uh, looking for promotion, i.e. the two clubs who are relegated from the Premier League. And therefore, you get clubs like Leeds United, Derby County, Brentford, Preston North End, all of whom would be in a better position to uh, gain qualification uh, for promotion next season. At the same time, uh, we have that situation that you discussed earlier in the podcast, Duncan, regarding Birmingham City, and they're by no means the only championship club who are in financial difficulty. You also have, of course, the element to include that uh, some championship clubs who are in serious danger uh, of uh, facing winding up order because of unpaid bills or unpaid tax uh, could be the beneficiaries of a, what is being discussed, and that would be a Premier League compensation payment, where instead of uh, taking um, all the prize money and broadcast money, which is uh, given out on a meritocratic basis, uh, which of course depends on how many appearances you make on live television, uh, as well as highlights, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, there could be drip-down payments made to championship clubs in order, and in that instance, um, the possibility of clubs surviving a situation in which they'd be otherwise in dire circumstances would become a possibility, if not a, a reality. Now, ask any football fan, what would you prefer? Are your club surviving or the league to be played for the hell of it, um, et cetera, et cetera? Then I think 
even fans of other clubs would say, well, look at, well, for instance, look at the Furore when Bury FC um, were allowed to uh, go out of business, uh, one of the most historic football clubs in the English league. Um, no one wants to see that happen again. And this is a crisis where already millions of people have been laid off in, in the UK with regards to their day-to-day jobs. Footballers in a privileged position whereby they should have enough money in their bank account, certainly the higher paid ones, to get them through a situation like this without any um, discomfort to them. Obviously, that's not the case for the lower leagues. But it's going to be even harder for lower league players stroke clubs should they find themselves in, uh, in an even greater deficit. So I think the conversations that are currently being had on an informal basis regarding how this might play out are actually very sensible and practical. I think, um, Duncan, one of the aspects that I think we'll see become more and more uh, vocal and more and more significant as days and weeks go on and uh, you know, the full consequences of this pandemic are played out, is that football will seem less significant than it does right now with regards to restarting, who's champions, who's going to be playing in Europe, and the moral um, aspect of families who have suffered loss of life or the tragedy of having someone suffering from the virus even itself and, and their life being in danger, as well as the um, economic and social chaos that's being caused, these things will become the priority in the minds of people, even the most ardent football fans. And so therefore to restart null and void on a new season will be the most sensible and the most likely outcome. Look, I think there are, there are a number of elements here. Um, when we had that um, announcement that the season would not be restarted till the end of April, I was already being briefed that there was no expectation from the people making that announcement that football would be able to be played in May. So there, there, there was already awareness that the dates that were putting forward were um, optimistic at best. I'm also now hearing that, uh, that the Premier League feel they need to be able to present to the broadcasters an attempt to have played uh, the matches. They can't be seen to cancel now because that would then allow the broadcasters a legal um, argument that, well, you cancelled before you were instructed to cancel by the government or you were forced to cancel by um, actual events. So what I'm expecting to see happen is the Premier League to stick to this position that we will complete um, as and when we can and then wait for the time to run out until it becomes obvious that they can't complete and have to uh, try and get a new season in play. And then they have a, an argument to put to broadcasters that, well, it was out of our control to get a, a new coherent season in, which is going to be in your best interest. We need to declare last season finished and, and start again from scratch. The there is clearly going to be severe financial problems for a host of clubs. Football has the money to keep a lot of these clubs in business, but that money is in the hands of players. So I think what we're going to see is either enforced pay cuts 
to players as clubs as large as Barcelona have imposed um, this week. Bayern Munich also um, put a 20% pay cut in, um, although the, the players accepted that one. Um, or footballers coming together to say, we will salary sacrifice a, a percentage of our wages for the sake of um, the, the whole of football. So you put, uh, we sacrifice salary and that money goes into a fund to enable as many clubs as possible to survive. But that, that's where spare cash is in football and that's where redistribution would allow a number of these clubs to get out of their financial difficulties. And, and interestingly, if you look at what the Bundesliga did this week, the Bundesliga have announced that they will not allow any of the clubs in the top two divisions to go out of business during this period. And that broadcast revenue, which would have been, would have gone to the bigger clubs will be redirected as necessary to smaller clubs to ensure they survive. So they've already taken that kind of communal stance, albeit it's only only with broadcast revenue at present. But they have, you know, they've set out their stall that the the integrity of the league, the Bundesliga as a whole, is more important than the financial interests of each individual club. It's certainly um, when someone like uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge refers to this as an existential crisis for football. Um, I think we all have to sit up and take notice that that is exactly what it is. Football has, for the last 20 years, enjoyed an incredible amount of uh, revenue, investment, um, spending power for both transfers and for players' wages, etc. And even for building amazing stadia, which, of course, we all have the privilege of going to watch games in. So if there is to be a new reality, then the players have to be part of it. And if that means accepting um, wage percentage cuts in order that clubs can still function, lease can still function, then that's just how it's going to be. Because let's face it, it's either that or they'll be out of work. And people will say, oh, well, that's not true. Football will always survive. Well, we've never faced anything like this um, in the modern era. So I don't think people should be quite so... Um, kind of cocky when it comes to making statements like that. Just a little footnote, Duncan, and it's probably, you know, we know it's an unpopular one with Liverpool fans. If the season was to be declared null and void and replayed, then obviously there is this, if you like, nagging problem that people see as a major um, trouble point potentially in uh, that Liverpool are so far clear at the top of the Premier League. What's the point of denying them? the title. Well, unfortunately, the fact of the matter is, if this were any other club, let's say it was Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, whatever, um, Liverpool's the kind of expectation or even perception that because they haven't won the title for 30 years, they haven't won the, for 30 years, and because they're so far ahead that they should be awarded it regardless. Well, quite frankly, that doesn't hold any water. Liverpool's a club which along with others, has always said that no one individual is bigger than Liverpool Football Club. Well, no one football club is bigger than football itself. So just because Liverpool fans and the club themselves feel will feel very hard done by, and rightly so, if they are denied the championship this season, it's not anyone's fault that that's the case. A decision has to be made for the good of all of football, not for the sake of one club. 
And if that decision means Liverpool aren't awarded the title this year, then they're going to have to compete for it next season. Simple as that. And as I said, as unpopular that point of view will be with Liverpool fans, I urge them to just have a look around and see what's happening in this country and in other countries around the world with regards to the consequences of the coronavirus pandemic and ask themselves what's more important, people's lives or, you know, winning a championship. Because whatever Shankly said, he didn't really mean it. Um, and people should understand uh, that, you know, it's a time for coming together and making sure that everyone is treated fairly is more important than one club uh, insisting that because of their point advantage or their history and they've waited so long for this, then they should be treated differently. I, I think the title will be awarded to Liverpool. My expectation is they will be awarded the title. And I, I think it's correct that they are given the title. But I think the problem for Liverpool and, and the problem for the club to address will be that it will have an asterisk beside it if the, the direction of travel is followed and the, the season is stopped early. So there will always be the ability to question market, even if rationally that ability isn't fair, it will be the incomplete season. And then the argument that you should complete just for the sake of Liverpool being able to say that it was a complete season at the expense of so many other things that we've discussed earlier in this podcast, I think is unsustainable. So I think that the challenge for Liverpool Football Club is going to be if this is the, the, the way the Premier League goes and they say, right, we are going to have to scrap this season and try and restart when we can, Liverpool are going to have to go along with that rather than fight it um, and object to it on the basis that it, it doesn't look nice in their history books. They're, they're the deserved Premier League winners. Um, it's their misfortune that it has happened uh, when this has occurred, as simple as that. And I think it's a misfortune they're just going to have to accept uh, and, uh, and allow football to sort its general problems out. Well, this is the Transfer Window podcast and uh, we are going to end it with a Heroes and Villains of the Week section. I should probably nominate myself for being the villain for suggesting that Liverpool fans should not be too upset if they don't get awarded the title. I'm sure they would all agree with me on that one. Um, but uh, you've got a much better villain than even I could be, uh, Duncan. Please tell us who that is. Uh, it's the, the arch villain of, uh, of of Newcastle, Mike Ashley. Um, I, I won't go into detail, just go on the internet, read his apology, read what that apology was based on. It, it's um, pure Mike Ashley. And uh, you, you wonder, you wonder what goes through his head when he comes up with things like these. Very good, very good. I'll, I'll let Mike Ashley take the flack any day. Um, now, I was going to make my year of the week and um, uh, Wilfred Zaha, who has indeed opened up 50, yes, you heard me right, 5-0, 50 properties in London uh, that he owns, but apparently are not currently occupied for NHS staff to stay in free of charge uh, when they are on shift and working very hard for the good of all of us. But instead... I'm going to say let's have the NHS staff themselves as our heroes of this week and indeed of, I'm sure, many weeks to come. Um, we are very grateful for the work that you are doing 
and for the good grace, diligence and selflessness that you have shown in duty to help protect lives in this country and indeed to the medical staff all across uh, the affected countries um, who are doing likewise. Just um, just something to add there, Ian, so we're talking about the NHS, we should mention Watford's move in uh, making Vicarage Road available to the NHS as, as kind of overflow on um, the local hospital, which is being used as overflow um, for the, the severely pressured London hospitals during the pandemic. Um, and, and given what we were talking about earlier, um, this shows the complications of trying to restart the Premier League. So Watford's ground is going to be used effectively as part of NHS provision for the foreseeable future. So how do you restart the Premier League until that ground is returned to Watford, which will presumably only be when the pandemic is under proper control? So you know you cannot have full integrity Premier League while football grounds are being used as as annexes of hospitals uh, being used to to treat and uh, combat the coronavirus pandemic. And indeed, Duncan, we can't justify the um, attendance at match days of medical staff to protect um, the uh, supporters who go along to a game when that ambulance and those staff could be needed in an emergency elsewhere. Um, or, or or a closed door scenario where you have to have medical staff and uh, policing to a certain extent, I and mean, policing in particular, because if you have closed doors matches, you can be sure that people will try and attend those matches or get near um, the grounds uh, while those matches are going on. So the whole uh, we will complete the league by playing closed doors matches is strategy is extremely problematic in itself. Well, we hope we have um, provided you with uh, some information, of course. That's something we always like to do, along with the news and the analysis and a bit of lightheartedness as well in these unusual times. We've also answered some of your questions. Thank you very much for sending them in. And please keep on doing that. Keep the debate going as well. Contact us through our social media channels, which, of course, on Twitter are at Transfer Podcast, uh, as well as on Instagram on Facebook as well. Uh, Duncan is on Twitter at Duncan Castles. I'm on Twitter at GarboSJ. Uh, as I said, continue the debate about anything you've heard in today's podcast, if you so wish. And uh, we'll be back next week with another Q&A show. Not quite sure which day it will be, but please, you can send questions to us at any time. And uh, our wonderful staff will... Uh, who don't exist, by the way, will collect them for us and make sure that we get to see them and uh, look at them in terms of the show for next week. That has been today's Transfer Window podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. 